Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This concerning news just in, you're going to be shocked and appalled. I have it on good authority that there is, in fact, no such thing as a train spotter. I know it's counterintuitive, but I've heard the evidence and I'm convinced. This and further disturbing revelations in today's episode, which was recorded much earlier this year, at a location so close to the edge of the capital that I was left gripping on to London with my fingernails. We're getting up ahead of steam and heading into deepest, darkest Essex on today's show. Today being Halloween, the 31st of October 2014, and this being Londonist Out Loud. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange Sights and sound, you ain't never seen the light before. Just a stone throw from your front door. Hey, baby, step out me. See things of the air, land, and sea. Some creep, some saw. Down the road, jam brand stuff. My heart aches for some far off place. No one cutters, baby. Well, as you can hear, uh, that was a double-decker bus coming to a stand. It was it was a dog as well. As I mentioned in a recent podcast, dogs, no respect for broadcast. But the sound of a double-decker bus, the number 339, coming to a standstill in the forecourt of a station. Well, I've been thinking, as we prepare for this podcast, how to go about justifying where we are, because we are 17 or so miles northeast of the centre of London. And I'm going to ask my guest, first of all, I think, whether we would still consider this to be London. I've arrived here on the Tube, which is a mark in favour of the argument. But, Alan Perryman, uh, are we in London? Not really. Once upon a time, this station used to be served by London Underground. Uh, around about 20 years ago, the Central Line uh, finally stopped calling at North Weald uh, as London Underground contracted slightly. Um, however, we are stood about two metres away from a big red London bus, um, so you could say, for, at least for the day, this is part of London. Yes, I was looking on the map to see what the M25 line told me about this. We're just outside of the 25. But as you say, we were uh, we would have been on the tube map a few years ago. Uh, 1994 was when the uh, central line stopped calling at Ongera Northfield. Uh, so now it terminates at Epping. However, distances on the underground are still measured from Ongera as the furthest point east. That's where the zero post is. So uh-huh. a little tube nugget there. And the stops, I think, what is there, about four stops on this bit of the line. Is it now a private concern? So yes, the Epping Ongera Railway is a heritage railway. It reopened to the public in 2012. Uh, so we're now into our second season. Um, the railway runs every Wednesday Wednesday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday throughout the summer and it runs most weekends throughout the rest of the year so special events such as Peppa Pig, uh, Santa specials and of course today we have a real ale weekend uh, bringing together beer and trains uh, it's a very special occasion yeah, we should probably use that cue to explain the noises in the background because I suspect the audio background to Peppa Pig might uh, come across slightly differently. Off to our right as we look out from the station down the uh, gentle slope to the road, there's a large white marquee and everybody's enjoying pints of this and that. What kind of thing can they find in there? So in the beer tents today we have 40 real ales, uh, mostly from London or Essex. So again, in keeping with the theme that this used to connect London and Essex, we have beers from Brentwood, we have beers from Stamford La Hope, but we also have beers from Hackney, from Tooting, and also from uh, Lee Bridge near Walthamstow. So very much representative, connected to that environment that East used to be part of. I like that. It feels like we're on the frontier. <laughs> very much so, yeah. And what about uh, what about you? I've gradually realised actually that you're more closely associated with the train side of things than the beer side of things. If I'm getting this right, uh, I do both. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm a member of Camera. I help run the Hackney Beer Festival in December every single year and also branched out um, a couple of years ago, decided I need to learn some practical skills, came and joined the railway to actually 
restore heritage vehicles. Um, ah, so you're knee-deep in the booze as well? Absolutely, knee-deep in the booze as well. Obviously, the two have to be separate for safety reasons, but uh, on these occasions, you can start to join the two together. Enjoy a pint in the sun next to some heritage trains. Yeah, so how does this sort of thing come into being then? It's a relatively new departure, or a train pun. How did it find its genesis? Uh, It started as a conversation between myself and one of the engine drivers here. Um, We were just talking about beer and things that actually could bring new people out to the railway, people who might not necessarily think about coming to a heritage railway. And having a pint in the grounds of an old station being able to take your pint on the train and actually gently roll through the Essex countryside um, appeals you, to quite Are you talking about on the train? or On the train, yeah, absolutely. Not after the beer? No, no, of course not. The, uh, the train should do all of the rolling rather than the passengers. And we got here via a really charming bus, and this is not the, it wasn't the same bus that we were using just a moment ago that we now see in the forecourt. This is a, a traditional red Routemaster. We were on a green Routemaster earlier. This is a traditional red uh, Routemaster bus uh, dating from the early 1950s. Um, the railway uses these to connect between the gap there's a currently no platform at Epping station so a heritage bus will collect people from London and bring them to North Weald station and they are running every single time the railways open so this idea of there being no platform there's this really interesting bit of the history of the line that I was reading up on where uh, they sort of officially closed one of the stations I forget you'll you'll be able to tell me which one but the passengers would sort of nod to the driver and uh, give him a smile and he'd slow the train down and let them off and in response to this uh, whoever was in charge of the platform got rid of the platform to stop them uh, disembarking that is correct so that's Blake Hall station which is around two miles away from here towards Onga Uh, I think when it closed it was used by about six people a day and those six people managed to convince the driver to stop for another couple of years until someone realised and took away the platform to prevent them doing so. That's that's terrible really isn't it because there's no earthly reason why that shouldn't be allowed to happen if it's being done in in a safe fashion. Even in those days, it was the 1980s when that station closed, people were slightly worried about health and safety. They just decided enough was enough and that the station needed to close because it wasn't, wasn't worth keeping open. So. Well, and there's that idea, isn't there, I think that that part of the line that is now in private hands was losing about £7 per customer for uh, a while, which makes me wonder, actually, if anybody's done the maths on the passengers for the cable car. I can't comment on uh, other transport operations. Certainly, I mean, the, the railway, went, it was closed for financial reasons but as a, as a heritage operation it's very much uh, a different uh, scheme uh, it's, it's more about the experience it's not here to provide a transport service as such although all of the bus services are, uh, are scheduled to a timetabled service and they, they run as regular buses just like the modern buses you'll see today they are covered by the same rules and regulations so anyone can use those and in fact local people do use those to get between Epping, Ongar and also Shenfield yeah, I noticed on the way up here, the, the bus was completely packed, of course. Larger people, I'm, I must say. It doesn't do uh, huge favours for your waistline, so imagine all of those packed into a, a Routemaster bus, every seat taken. And we passed by a very disgruntled local lady who had her thumb out for the bus and couldn't understand why we weren't stopped. I'm not sure which reason we were <laughs> failing to stop for. I should say, while we've been talking, another figure has uh, sidled up to us, uh, carrying an implement which fills me with fear. I'm not sure what this thing is. It might be for crowd control, I don't know. This, I believe, is Dean Walton, hi Dean. Hi there, mate. Yeah, I'm Dean Walton, and the implement I'm carrying, of course, is a litter picker today. So I want to keep the station tidy. I'm oh, the station master here at North Weald Station, so that's why, that's why I'm here. And Alan just came and said, come along and perhaps see if it, answer any questions and see if I can help you out with anything at all. Well, I suppose the first question is, uh, how busy is this line, and what is your role as station master involved? Well, my role today as station master is involved being... Um, front-facing, customer-facing, welcoming people, making sure that things are um, happening as they should, keeping the place clean and tidy, working with the other volunteers here today, and just, just keeping it a safe, clean, happy place to be. In terms of the numbers that we've got coming today, we're quietly pleased, I think is what I would say. I would say we're very, yeah, we're very pleased, very pleased. pleased with the numbers. You've spoken already about the um, 
the packed buses, which is something that we, we love to see. Oh yeah, another one's turned up while I have my back turned. That's right, another one another one of the RTs has turned up. Um, it's great to see them. So as Alan says, we're running till a bit later today. Um, it's a good fun thing. We, we you know people come down to the railway to have a good time, um, and we make sure that they do. And it's it's satisfying for us because overwhelmingly the, the the feedback that we get from our passengers, our customers, is that the volunteers are really friendly and they, they they've had a lovely time. We get good scores on TripAdvisor consistently and are happy, smiling people. We're recording fairly early in the day. What sort of time do these shenanigans carry on until? So tonight we're staying open late until around about 9 or 10 o'clock, just about when sunset is. Uh, we'll have some folk music later on to entertain those people that choose to stay around. Uh, from Loughton Folk Club, we've got a couple of members coming down who will be entertaining both on the train, on the platform and on the, in the beer tent if there's any space for them. I've been told to expect a mix of traditional folk and also some more modern uh, rock and roll types of things. I know we've got two, two players, so we at least have guitarist, violinist and a mandolin at some point, depending on which instrument they choose to pick up. Yeah, looking forward to that. I just want to disappear back into the history of the area a little bit. Now, I don't know whether you guys are rooted in the area other than the work going on here. What's the story? Are you based locally? I'm not. I'm based in um, South East London, and I think... And I Aaron... am based in South East London as well. Oh, right, so we're all, we're all strangers. Um, well, strangers, we like to think we're quite a friendly railway. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Let's not be sure that we're really trotting out some... Like, no, we're not, we're not local, um, but whatever we'll see what we can find out about um information for you you know we know quite a bit about the line and some of the areas and a lot of the volunteers that do come to the railway they are local i must admit but we've just come here i speak for myself but i think alan said that we've come here because we just love the railway it's, it's it's really good fun and one of the things i certainly didn't realize about on the railway was um was it's the trains and things that bring you but it's the people that keep you bringing bringing you back and so there's that side of it but that's probably not talking about the history of the line well, the way hold, hold on then no but that, that's true enough and I, I I haven't forgotten my mission there uh, <laughs> but that line was too delicious and it sounds like a line that's uh, that might appear in a brochure somewhere uh, as well what is that can we unpack that line a little bit what we do you can mean? we can I mean um, there's a lot of camaraderie that takes place when people come down here you come on a regular basis you come and see the same chaps you meet people from different walks of life that, that that probably you wouldn't normally get a chance to do that and you find links with them not just about um your, your, your common love of trains but you learn how to work as a team a lot of what happens on the railway is really about um people communicating and working together there's lots of different things that go on but we have to coordinate those and and it's it's that sense of teamwork comradeship um, having a bit of fun, being able to meet people, and also having the privilege to work with them. These, these old machines, the 37 out there is about 50 years old. We get a lot of the steam locomotives, they're 60, 70, 100 years plus. And um, it, 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 it's not many ways and places in life that you can get a chance to get up, that up close with those types it's, of things. There's also an opportunity in the, the you can do something that you wouldn't normally get to do through your course of work. And I think most people who volunteer here have a wide variety of skills but they might then choose to come here and do something completely different so I work in an office nine to five most of the time uh, but here I am running a beer festival in a, in a field some days I'm actually working on the trains um, as train crew sometimes I'm here as a porter uh, and indeed I started here to actually learn how to use power tools and things repairing things so I, you know before I came here I didn't know anything about woodwork or actually the, I suppose the art of, of, of bringing things together to fix them so and those things those skills you then take home and use in your everyday life so uh, it's a good um, good opportunity to to learn new things and to meet new people there's something in your uh, eye that you have in common with the chap that we were talking to before recording who is in charge of the level crossing it's a manual level crossing so he holds the gates open around the back there he's uh, wearing a fluorescent vest and uh, he had the same spark in his eye when he well it, no it was more of a misty far away look in fact when he started talking about the sound that a 37 makes when it's going up a hill and, and so forth and uh, he's, he's had 50 years in the business by the sounds of it and just uh, the lightest touch revealed a very deep love for trains I guess I think that's right. There is, there is um, a deep love of trains tucked away in there somewhat. And it, 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 I, I it's an emotional, so it's not quite as, um, as soppy as that. But there is there is something about it. It's, it's as Alan was saying, it, it's completely different. For me, I work in the daytime. I work in a day job. I work in London pushing paper. And I can come out here. I can put all that behind me. 
I can get outside, I can get in the sun. I also work in the signal box. I'm, you know, I can be the, the, the fat controller up there, pulling levers with a real full-size train set. So there is that, that side of fun about it. But then also, I say, I get to meet people like Alan. I get to be able to come and talk to people, listen to the list here, and, and, and those kinds of things. And at the end of the day, when I've taken off my tie and hung my sort of jacket up, I'll be able to have a nice beer and just reflect and just think, that was a nice day, a good day, well had. Is there, and this is dangerous territory potentially, is there a, a way that we could typify the sort of person who might be interested in the sort of stuff here? <laughs> I suggest that. That was delicately done, wasn't I it? I suggest it. We welcome people from all sorts of backgrounds. <laughs> no, you're not getting away with that. <laughs> no, um, no. Com- okay, yeah, you Many people would have um, spent um, time, certainly some of the older members, time in the railway industry. That's that's right. But the other side of it is that you're speaking to um, Alan and myself here, and we've certainly not spent. I, I, I don't think you have. I've certainly not spent my life working, should we say, at the sharp edge of um, of railway operations. I've come to the railway because of a love of railways in in myself, not through a professional background certainly some of the older people that we have working they brought railway experience not all of them we also have people who bring other skills as Alan says we've got chippies carpenters coming in there and we have people who worked in civil engineering or other elements of engineering and, and they're looking to ways to um well, I say ease themselves into retirement is, is perhaps the way to do it whereas for myself and, and Alan it's, it, it's our hobby at the weekend and it becomes a really quite all-encompassing hobby and we love it and then other people just um, say they perhaps get involved in some of the administration side of it or um, on in the catering side of stuff which isn't about the heavy metal things on metal rails but again I think it's, it's being part of, of, of that functioning railway that they love and the, and the comradeship and that kind of stuff is there, is there a particular quality that you would associate with that interest? And I've, I've got in mind, and this could be completely off the mark, but is it, for example, the, the smell of the locomotives or something, or is it something about, like the fellow here was talking about, the noise of them that seems to particularly appeal to him, or is it an overview thing, like, I guess, yeah. working with well, a train set? Or? I think, I, think it, it, I suggest that each individual has, has what attracts them. For me, um, in one of my main operating roles in the railway, I'm one of them, one of the railway's firemen. So I, I work on the steam locomotives. And so you're the guy shoveling in the the coal. Shoveling in the coal. We like to think about it as boiler management. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Well, you shoveling the coal is what you see, but the thing that's actually more important is making sure there's enough water in there so that the thing doesn't blow up. There's enough water there to produce enough steam to actually power the um, the locomotive along. And that's um, on, on the footplate. You've got two, three people working together. And the thing doesn't work unless you work as an effective team and you work together and again that's that's that that's that element and again that's something that you'd never ever get not not the teamwork but the ability to work with the locomotive and deal with that sort of stuff anywhere other on, on the railway so that that for me is is kind of what i enjoy where, where my real passion comes from and it's this railway that gives you the opportunity to do that how about you alan so yeah very much for me the being able to do something which is a bit different to my day job so when i am working on the trains um that is i'm not i don't work at the sharp end of railway operations either so very much having something i suppose which is a little bit more manual i work on the diesel trains rather than the steam steam crew uh, so so if you're found shoveling coal in then you'll be taken off immediately absolutely yeah i haven't got any qualifications in that whatsoever but i have had the opportunity to drive some of the diesel trains and that's obviously something which most people don't get the chance to do um purely by learning some of the rules and regulations and things like that and because there's also that sort of things and it's a it's an opportunity to do a, do a piece of work which is just doing whereas quite a lot of us spend our time managing and thinking and planning about how to do things well in a safety critical environment it's very important to to know where you stand and actually do the job and you know how to do the job and it becomes second nature so it's nice to do something which is so different from from my everyday work well we're going to take a short word from our sponsor and we're going to be back and i'm going to i've retained in my mind that i asked about a week ago about the history of the area we're going to come back to that after these few words do you buy monthly travel cards for your commute You could save money and avoid renewal hassle with Commuter Club, a new way to access the big discounts offered by annual travel cards with all the flexibility of paying monthly. Find out how and sign up at www.commuterclub.co.uk 
forward slash Londonist. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe and we are in deepest, darkest Essex, or I think rural Essex as they prefer to be known. And we're at Northweald Station here to enjoy a beer festival and to think about the railway. Now, I must get this right. It's the Epping Ongar Railway. Yes, that's true. Uh, you, you will notice, the listener, that the voice to which I'm speaking has changed dramatically. Roger Green has stepped in. I don't know what Roger Green does, but he's been billed as having an encyclopedic knowledge of the railway. <laughs> we were hope so yes roger what do you do here um basically i'm obviously a volunteer um i lead two restoration teams one on tuesday and one on thursday restoration of uh, the buildings and also uh, a couple of uh, wooden body vehicles that we've got and then uh, on usually saturdays and sundays i work in the shop at onga i'm also uh, head of retail so i look after the shop there and um and obviously, being uh, the bank holiday, oh sorry, school holidays, uh, we run additional days, Wednesdays and Fridays. So I very often end up doing Wednesdays and Fridays as well. So it's basically I do on a good week six days, on a bad week seven days. So you're you're maintaining buildings. You're also the face of capitalism as far as the uh, Epingonga Railway goes. <laughs> I wouldn't like to put it like that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so that, that's got me curious, though, because I've, we've seen the uh, buses and there's a, a third bus. That's a, an RF, a uh, single-decker. Very attractive. This reminds me of Works Outings buses from the 1950s. Yes, I mean, in the 1950s you used to have wakes weekends or wakes holidays where factories, um, industrial, would go on um, holidays to seaside and they'd be taking in fleets of buses or on trains. Uh, to their destination, and these uh, these buses date back to the 50s and 60s, so they're, they're of that period. Uh, you mentioned the buildings and the upkeep thereof, and clearly we've got the station house just here. But, but what other buildings are associated with the railway? At the moment, we've got obviously the station at Onga, which was built in 1865, with later additions to 1880, I think it is, and that's how it's been restored back to from um, when it was got rid of by the, un- the underground we had to take out a lot of um, additional things that they put in so they could get it back to Great Eastern times which is why it's in brown and stone which was the original colours of the Great Eastern Railway. 1865 was sort of railway mania type because um, railways dope back to early 1800s um, of course everyone knows the famous sort of Stockton, Darlington and Liverpool and Manchester and they were the sort of 1820s, 1830s. So this is sort of 30 years after a lot of railways were built. But it was a, it was a rural line. Um, originally it was going to go through to Dunmo. But uh, rumour has it that the people of Ongo didn't want a, um, a through station. They wanted a terminal station. So they built a cemetery on the other side of the road. <laughs> and um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, so had they have had not had their way, of course, we would have had a, a rural line going through to Dunmo. And being rural, of course, uh, the underground never really succeeded uh, beyond Epping because between Ongar and Northweald and towards Epping, uh, it's basically farmland. And all you're doing is look, just looking at farms. And in fact, Blakehall Station, uh, which is between Northweald and, and Ongar, was the least used station on the underground with six passengers a day and it closed in 1981 Well I suppose this is the problem isn't it because it doesn't matter what the population numbers are, it's whether people of that population have a reason to go somewhere and if you're a farmer you don't need to commute into London Uh, The original station was uh, requested by the people that owned Blake Hall, which was the manor house uh, which was the Capel Cure family and they requested that uh, the Great Eastern Railway built a station at Blake Hall basically for them um, if you go to Bake Hall now, there's only you know, half a dozen houses around, plus a factory. And, of course, uh, the Blake Hall, Blake Hall itself, the mansion, um, is now back in the Capel Cure family. And they use it for weddings, big banquets and that kind of thing. But uh, there's still not very many people live around there. What's the local support for the project here and now? I think the word is pass. Um, we have a lot of people who are pro the railway. We have a number that are not pro the railway. Um, some, I mean, obviously, I mean, the railway's always been a love-hate relationship. That um, people love to hate the railway. And uh, 
I mean, we, we have a lot of, obviously, trains running like today, uh, and obviously we've got the beer festival and the buses. It does co- cause inconvenience, obviously, to people who are sort of behind, behind us. Uh, most of the people are OK. It's just that you get the occasional um, disagreements, if you like. Are we talking of the sort where... Because well, it's, it's not like HS2 or something. They're not worried about their land being sliced up by a new railway arriving. No. So what's the objection? Um, it's, it's rather odd. The railway's always been an operational railway, even when it was abandoned. It, it was never actually abandoned as such. Uh, and people have come along to the buildings, as you can see at the back here, which are brand new, well, newish. Um, now, I don't want to get into polit- politics, but... Um, if you're buying a house next to a railway, in your searches you would find, you know, is this railway mothballed, um, derelicts, going to be used again? So that um, when you move in you should know that uh, you could actually have a, a working railway. And the same applies to Ongar, of course. I see how delicate you're, uh, you're <laughs> stepping around the issue, and um, quite rightly. Yes, yes. But it, it's yes. interesting to note, really, that my first conversation on site here today was with a chap who was clearly relishing the thought of the sound of engines going up yeah. and down hills. Quite the reverse experience, potentially, for some of the people you're mentioning. Yes, the steam, I mean, obviously, with steam and diesel starting off from here, um, and because it's on a quite a gradient, and to get the, the train moving, uh, does, you know, they have to use quite a bit of power and power produces either diesel fumes or more steam, smoke. Uh, unfortunately, some people think the white stuff that's coming out of a funnel is smoke, when in fact it's steam, which is just water. So they see clouds of white coming out of a, an engine, they think, oh my God, pollution and all that, but of course it isn't. That is just pure water. We have <laughs> neighbours, I won't, I won't say where, who reckon we should switch off the engines as soon as they arrive in the station sort of a hybrid uh, diesel Basically, I think, well, uh, it's a bit difficult when you come to a steam engine <laughs> because the, the things have a life of their own, basically, and uh, although you can control it, what it does, you know, in its own free time, if you like, you know, it's until it's controlled by a man who drives it, then it will let off steam, obviously, to protect, because obviously if it didn't let off steam, the boiler would explode and there'd be bits of... Uh, engine and everything flying around all over the place. Yes, it just it just struck me today, and obviously, like anybody else, I've seen pictures of steam trains from day one, and it only today, when I really started to think about how this thing works, struck me that you're uh, putting intense pressure and heat inside a, a container, and what we yeah. see coming out of the top there is a sign of that pressure. Yeah, it's, it's basically vents. It's like Alan's um, beer barrels. I wonder what you were going to say there. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, <laughs> I was going to say yes. <laughs> they, he, he vents the beer barrels, and it's like... I presume, don't you? We do, yes. So uh, that lets out the, you know, the pressure, if you like. Uh, if you didn't let out pressure in anything, uh, in a, um, any container, then of course the thing explodes. A fireman's job is to obviously put coal into the smoke box. It is great. Firebox. Firebox. Sorry, yes. Um, and he has to spread it in properly so they can keep the fire at the correct temperature. He has to let the water in. Uh, if there's too much water, let it out. So he manages, if you like, the uh, the engine. Oh, now, oh, um, sorry to interrupt, but this is the re- I never knew, I never understood this before. That's the reason why the steam trains in the Wild West stop under a water tank and fill up with. Yes, I mean uh, ah. they have to fill up um, usually at the beginning of the day with so many thousands of gallons of water, um, and they have to obviously keep the water at a certain point um, so that it covers the firebox. Um, otherwise you're going to end up with problems. So they've got gauges in there so they can manage the steam engine. And uh, it's a very important job. I mean, the driver drives, but the fireman, you know, actually is the one that's looking after the fire. Um, sometimes an engine will run out of steam. Sometimes it's due to bad firing uh, or inexperienced firing. So, you know, it takes years to actually get these, you know, trades, if you like, as they were in the old days. Right, I mean... So go back to the old days, you start off sort of as a cleaner and then a uh, pass cleaner, then a fireman, pass fireman, driver. So you go through the grades, learning all the time, not only just learning the the engine, but also if you're coming to gradients, how to deal with that engine. Um, And obviously route learning as well, traction knowledge. So you'll get get drivers who can drive anything um, badly. Or you can get drivers who can drive, you know, most things very well. 
So, so it's a bit of a um, myth, is it, that because you often get the, the idea that we don't need drivers on trains and maybe there's less of a need for it now, I don't know, perhaps that's a very controversial thing to say, but clearly if you've got to be balancing the amount of uh, pressure and the head of steam you've got going against the gradient and you've, you've got to know when to expect yeah. those things, that sounds like a much more skilled job than yes, a, a punter um, might realise. With, um, with normal railway, well, with, with the railways that we've got now, you've got gradients which the heritage diesels and, and steam have problems with. So they need more power, and you, obviously you've got to know where the gradients are. With modern traction like um, HS1, you know, the high-speed trains, any high-speed train, electric train can go up quite steep gradients. Uh, if you look at um, the line between, was it St Pancras and Channel Tunnel, uh, that's got quite steep gradients over viaducts and down viaducts, and um, it doesn't affect the speed the power they've got to take more power out of the system but when it comes to driverless trains of course you've got things like Docklands Light Railway which has been driverless since 1984 uh, which my grandson loves travelling on my daughter I mean she was only nine then she just loved travelling at the front and my grandson who's now nine he likes travelling at the front because he pretends to be the driver and it's a fantastic railway the Docklands Light Railway driverless of course and a lot of the tubes now are driverless although they have a driver sitting in the driver's seat. Oh, 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 what is this? Well, the Victoria line's been driverless for... Oh, I can't remember when it became driverless. But you have a, a person who's in, cha- who's in charge of the train who sits in the front cab. Is this this dead handle that we've heard about? Uh, well, no, no. He's, uh, he basically shuts the doors and presses the button for the computer to start. Uh, the central line, of course, is the same. That's but, but, but your Victoria line fellow uh, or, or woman is not driving? Uh, they are drivers because they can drive an emergency. The same with the Docklands Light Railway. They can drive. They have a train manager who will drive, or train captain, I can't remember the people, who will um, take over if the computer goes down. He can drive, drive manually. So there's always a fail-safe with anything to do with the railway. Sorry, we're off steam completely here. Sorry, but yes. what, what does that mean in the context of those sort of trains, the underground trains, when you say that they drive in, a, in an emergency? What are they actually doing? Well, the, on an automatic train... The driver will press, obviously, to shut the doors. He will press the button for the computer to start. In other words, start away from the station. But if anything should happen to that, he's actually got controls that he can actually drive uh, to the next station. But this is only a question like faster and slower, basically? Yes, um, well, it's, yes. It's, that's, I mean, that's basically it. Same with the car, really. You either go fast or slow and brake. You know, well, I like to think steer as well, but... Yeah, I see your point. Some drivers do not steer, I don't think. It's, uh, <laughs> point and shoot. Uh, I think very often drivers, uh, car drivers do tend to do that, yes, and lorry drivers. We, we could cast our net a little bit more widely and just look at the area, because we come out to this part of the world almost never, precisely because we're, we're a London-based show, and uh, it's very arguable whether we're still in London. And, yeah. But I was looking at some of the history of the area, and it's, uh, it's ancient. Oh, the, the market in Epping, for example, goes back to something like 1256. What else can we say about the area and the towns that are serviced by this railway? Well, the Epping area was actually Epping Forest. I mean, the whole lot was covered in forest, going back to the um, dawn of time and all this. And uh, There's a little Epping village in the Doomsday Book, although it's yes. not Epping oh, proper. I think, I think, um, I think North Weald appears in Doomsday as well. Um, but everywhere was sort of Epping Forest. It's all forest land. And quite a bit of the actual forest still exists. Uh, in fact, when you go from here... Northwield up to Coopersale in one of our trips, you're actually going through some of the ancient forest. But basically, yes, I mean, that was, that was it. It was all forest, you know, and um, a bit of agriculture and things like that, because it's still agriculture. Plus, obviously, uh, an overspill as London moves out, so obviously people move out. Yeah, I, I gather there's some... Uh, I think it's Ongar who's got uh, quite the campaign up to stop new properties being built in the area. They, they're saying they're overstretched as is. I think this applies to a lot of places. Um, I live in Ingatestone, and um, we have a railway, we have Ingatestone, and then we have the A12. And uh, all the way around us is Green Belt. And we try and protect it, because what tends to happen, or what seems to happen, is developments come along, and development companies seem to want to build houses... They don't want to build shops, surgeries, have anything to do with sewers or anything like that. I'm sure they do. I'm sure I'm exaggerating. But uh, that's what it seems like. Uh, So build houses, but don't think about the things that need to go with houses, like uh, doctors, 
schools, you know, shops and things like that. Hospitals. And, and yeah. well, hospitals and also, of course, sewerage and things like that. And often, I mean, sewerage apart, but often the developers will take the old hospital or the old school and turn it into residential <laughs> accommodation. Right? Yes, that often happens. And uh, it's rather ironic when you think, you know, they'll demolish a hospital and build hundreds and hundreds of flats and things on there. And then what do we do with people when they're ill? You know, uh, oh, well, they go miles away. I live in Ingatestone and my hospital, <laughs> we're basically in the middle of um, being either Chelmsford, uh, Broomfield Hospital or Queen's at Romford. And uh, it's a fair old journey, especially trying to get on the A12. But nothing seems to be, everything seems to be sort of centralised miles away from anywhere else, which relies on public transport. And around sort of Essex area, a lot of public transport, unlike London, where they run all day and all night, every few minutes... Uh, you're talking a sort of hourly service or perhaps uh, one a week, you know, on a Tuesday, you know, or whatever the um, market day is, you know. So it's, um, everyone has to have a car, basically. Oh, which is, which is good for the environment, of course. Is there any realistic call now? You know, things have moved on uh, 20, 30 years. Is, is there any call now, do you think, for this bit of railway or something like it to be connected up to the central London network? Well, we're in the process um, of trying to build a station at Epping on our bit of line. That's in discussion now. As for being a commuter service, I, I personally can't see it because the service we can run is, say, every 40 minutes because we're a single line. And, of course, a commuter service is no good every 40 minutes. It's got to be every 8, 10 minutes, which we couldn't do. Not only that, we'd have to have... Because we're all volunteers, none of us get paid. Uh, you'd have to have paid members of staff. We'd have to get additional units or trains. Start at 5 o'clock in the morning, or whatever it is. And, of course, you'll only be basically peak hour. So you'd have, have to have split shifts. So you'd have to you know, work from 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock and then, say, I don't know, 5 till 9 at night, which is not not easy whether it, I don't think it could ever pay I mean I'm not I'm not an economist but um, I can't see it ever paying you know it's uh, people drive to Epping now it's easier oh yes I've heard this is one of the plagues on uh, Epping I is parked cars yeah I believe it's uh, I don't know whether it's right or not but it's supposed to be the largest car park on the underground or something but it's, it's rather strange on the last day of the the underground 1994 in September 1994 trains were packed but three or four days earlier, in the normal day, of course, you know, half a dozen people. And uh, this is the problem that um, what happens, of course, is a railway is shut down because nobody uses it except on the last day. And, um, you know, what are people going to do when their car goes in for service once a year, you know, when they could have used the train? You, you get things like that, you know, it's odd. You guys have clearly thought through the way it might work or the limitations of how connecting up this line with, I guess, a central line that could operate. With the sort of enthusiasm that I've heard from people today, I, I just want to ask, even if it were a case of doing the uh, the split shifts and coming to some inconvenient arrangement to run the line, w- would you be prepared to make those sacrifices? I don't think people will. Um, what you've got to remember is most of us are retired. I did uh, 18 years of early late nights. I worked on the railway. And um, that was okay when I was young. Working split shifts now... Uh, no. <laughs> Four o'clock in the morning? No, I don't think so. Where's your sense of adventure? Um, it died about 20 years ago, I think, yes. <laughs> um, no, I, I enjoyed what I'm doing now, which is basically, you know, um, I enjoy meeting all the, you know, the people that come along, or most of them anyway. We do get the awkward ones, but um, most people are fine, you know. But, uh, and it's, it makes part of the day, um, talking to the passengers them talking to you and they come you know they a lot of them have got stories about how they used to travel on this line some used to work on the line i've got two questions up my sleeve remaining one of them relates exactly yeah. to uh, to what you just said in fact it's no surprise to anybody i think that when you talk to somebody about uh, real ale or trains you encounter a lot of people with uh, strong opinions and detailed knowledge mm-hmm. do you ever encounter people who have such an in-depth knowledge or want to talk about it so much that they bore you on the subject Yes, and unfortunately, of course, you have to think, you know, these... uh, It's not so bad when people actually have an in-depth knowledge which is correct. Unfortunately, people have an in-depth knowledge of things and you know very well they're not correct. So that's when it becomes a bit wearing, the fact that you know this person doesn't know what they're talking about, perhaps like me, I don't know. 
I mean, I've told you these wondrous things. You don't know whether I'm telling the truth or not. <laughs> yeah, people can go on for quite a long while. And it's only fortunate that they need to get on the next train very often. And therefore, um, you think, oh, thank God for that. I mean, you're polite to them, which you should be, you know, but um, they do tend to go on a bit. Yes. Oh, there's a supplementary question in there to do with uh, people who are interested in collecting train numbers, but I'm not going to bother with that. Well, you've got to remember, there's, there's a few things that bug me. Calling railway stations train stations, because that's American and we're English, therefore there should be railway stations, and the difference between a train and an engine. What you've got to remember, a train is an engine plus wagons or coaches. So when you see an engine going past, you don't say, there's a train. That's right, I was just being pedantic. No, that seems like that must bug you. It does. So there's no such thing as a train spotter, really, is there? It's an engine spotter. Well, well, loco spotter and things like that. I mean, I did it when I was young. You know, I don't do it now. I'm a a railway enthusiast. What I find annoying is when people refer to you as train spotters. You know, anoraks. And uh, we're basically railway enthusiasts. Um, I like to think of myself as not historian exactly, but interested in the railway history. The trouble is, being old now, I've, I remember it, and I'll, it'll come to me later, sort of thing, but I can't remember at the time. I think it's a sort of onset of something, Alzheimer's or something, that um, you think, hang on, I knew this last week, but I can't remember it now. No, it does, it does annoy me when you know, people sort of call people that are interested in railways train spotters, which has a sort of derogatory... Mm, yeah, in a, in a way that I don't think obtains with other... Like you, you get people who are interested in vintage cars, they don't seem to suffer the same sort of image what problem. I, what I try and say to people is that you've got people who are interested in cars which are puny little things, you know, 100, 150 horsepower. Now it comes out. <laughs> when some of our engines, I mean, you know, our Class 37 is 1,750 horsepower. That is power. The, you've got 3,300 horsepower diesels, the Deltics. That is power. 150 horsepower Ferrari? Puny. You want power. This is what we're interested in, you know. <laughs> Out of context, all of what you've just said could be thoroughly misconstrued. In a political context, for example, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, my, my final question, and this is it's an open goal, really, because I wanted to ask you about the restoration of the buildings. And I realised that we could talk about how you uh, match up materials and where you source... Oh, what a beautiful sound. What's that? That's our Class 37. Ah, that's one of the... 750 horsepower of it. Incredible workhorses yeah. from what I've oh, yes. understood. Yeah, go back 50-odd years, 54 years. So we could go down that road of the, uh, the materials and the structural stuff, or there might be an aspect of the railway that you know is going to interest the listeners that I wouldn't know to ask about. Well, what we've tried to do with the restoration is actually, uh, as I said, Ongo is um, based on 1880... Uh, which is why it's in brown and stone, which is the greatest in railway colours. Northweald is based on 19 or LNER period, which was 1923 up to 1947 when nationalisation came along. Was that London North East Railway? North Eastern Railway. And that's why it's in uh, green and cream. And when we come to Epping, when we build Epping Station, no idea. I'm not too sure what we're going to do. But we tried to you know, keep them as authentic as possible, even to the white surrounds around the door. Because it's so near the airfield, they used to paint the the, the steps and the sides of the doors white. Because obviously blackout, you couldn't. No, it had no lights. So we've actually, you know, kept to that. So we try and keep to sort of period, if you like. Which is why we have obviously heritage diesel or heritage diesels and steam. Um, our steam engines sort of date back to 1926, 29. That's the one that's on overhaul at the moment. Pitchford Hall. That's 1929, I think it is. The one that's down here now, which should have been running, but we've got problems with the springs, is actually fairly young. That was 1948. I say fairly young because I was born in 47, so it must be young. So that's only, what, 66 years old? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's, that's fairly modern. But uh, it's nice to have these old things, and they're, they're pop, you know, children like to see the old buses, old trains, and hopefully they'll, um, you know, we'll be here in years to come and be able to offer people... We come up from London, which is, you know, obviously London up to uh, Epping, quite easy, and then get our, one of our heritage buses, RTs or RMs, to North Wheel and then catch tr- uh, heritage trains, you know, either to Wonga or up to Epping and back. And there is something wonderful about being able to step on the back of a route master and feel that ease of access. As with the trains, you can open and close the doors, there are windows, and you don't feel 
boxed in, you don't feel like you're in a little airless capsule. Oh yeah, uh, I mean Boris and his uh, you know route master, where you can just jump on and off. He's going back to obviously the route masters that we had. Whether health and safety appreciated that, I don't know. How many people fell off the back of RMs, RTs? I've no idea. Quite a few, probably. One of my favourite sites always used to be people who weren't in the peak of fitness trying to get on the back of slow-moving route masters and essentially running up the street behind the what, bus. What people need to listen to is the Bob Newhart record about um, teaching someone how to be a bus driver. Bob Newhart, there's the famous one, the driving instructor, but there's also one about bus instructor, how to drive a bus. That You, uh, you see someone running towards the bus, you don't go uh, too fast because he'll give up, you don't go too slow because they'll catch it, you basically go so they really have to make an effort. When they get on, anyone with uh, shopping, you accelerate, brake, accelerate, brake, accelerate, brake, by which time they're up the front, shopping everywhere. Fantastic record. Yes. Well, Roger Green, thanks very much for taking the time today. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Londonist Out Loud is available free as a stream at londonist.com or a weekly download via iTunes. Hit us up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud, tweet at Londonist Sound, and check out images of our guests via the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and we are at the epicentre of debauchery that is the Eppingenonga Railway <laughs> Beer Festival. It's a very it's a very genteel uh, event, I would say. I'm not sure. I think I had probably ideas of the Bavarian Beer Fest in my mind. I was expecting uh, maidens with uh, enormous glasses and uh, people stumbling around. But in fact, what we see here are uh, people taking uh, half pints of beer and tasting them. The barrels along the back of the bar are all uh, in beer cosies. And uh, it looks like a very organised sort of business. Yeah, so the, the, the beers are in specialist cooling jackets, so they're in the heat. And it's probably about 21, 25 degrees C here um, that keeps the beer cool. So through the jackets we run ice-cold water comes from two cooling machines to make sure that the beer is served at the optimum temperature. Oh, so a similar principle to the steam engines then? Uh, reasonably similar, um, yeah. It's, it's very much the kind of equipment that you would probably see in a pub, but temporarily popped up in a tent for uh, a few days. So what have we got on offer here? I should say on the bar there are a number of boxes. Now if you are fond of wine by the box then you'll be familiar with the look here, although they're a little bigger than that. On the top we've got labels telling us what they are but they don't mean too much to me how would you characterise the offering so these are ciders and perries um, ah right your name comes into its own here it comes, yeah, it comes so into it again so uh, yeah we have a variety eight different varieties of, of cider and perry um, including um, two which are made just down the central line from here in Woodford um, from the London Glider Cider Company who visit people's gardens within three or four mile radius of Woodford and they collect the apples that would otherwise fall to the ground and be wasted. They turn that into cider. A scrumped cider? Absolutely. So anyone who's got apple, an apple tree in their garden, they will quite happily come and visit, take your apples away, give you a couple of bottles of cider in return and then a discount on anything else you buy from them. Oh, very good. Can we have a taste? Of course. Thanks very much. Here we go. So this is London, uh, London Glider. Uh, slightly cloudy very very smooth I'm not about to produce a set of vocabulary specialised to the occasion uh, but it's very tasty so this is a medium dry cider um, although I'm not really a cider drinker myself so uh, I probably can't give you uh, a full description but it's not particularly sweet but also not particularly dry either quite tart quite tart because it's made from a range of apples not one particular variety it's actually very easy drinking uh, I suppose you could say it's quite a dangerous drink because it, 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 it just slips down you, you barely notice the fact that it's 6% it is just a, a nice, refreshing cider. Does this mean then that you have to audition the beers and ciders before they can be put on... Uh, well, is, is on sale right here? Correct, yeah. yeah. So so we do, we have a, a small small team of people that help pull together the festival and actually do some of the planning and preparation work. And part of that is to go out there and taste um, some beers... For this is the second time the the Eppingonga Railway has hosted a beer festival, and again we've kept the London and Essex theme going. So of course, bringing volunteers from both London and Essex means that they can bring recommendations, things they've really liked, things that are 
adhere to them. And, and, and in some instances, things which are, are railway themed. So one of the beers we've got here today is called Railway Porter, and that's uh, made by the Five Points Brewery of Hackney. So again, London connection, close at hand. Not very many food miles in that, is there? <laughs> well, things are warming up figuratively and literally here outside further buses have disgorged more drinkers and railway enthusiasts and uh, I, I could see this being a very pleasant day out and I think people are going to be taking trips on the diesel locomotive as well yes oh hang on no I, I've been corrected by Roger on this they're going to be taking trips on the diesel train well it oh, no, depends on it yeah so, so people people will be riding on the train today's train is hauled by a 50 year old diesel locomotive uh, we have a second train which is a complete multiple unit as it's known which has the engine built with inside the carriage so it's uh, the forerunners of today's modern trains where it's all one complete thing so this is like self-service at the supermarket self-service at the supermarket almost yeah so that train can power itself it doesn't need anything else added to it whereas of course the old-fashioned concept with the steam train you had the steam engine as one single thing and the carriages behind that diesel locomotive carriages behind that very much the kind of the old-fashioned way very flexible you think about the days when trains could get longer for the summertime because they had lots of carriages lying around doing nothing well of course the accountants don't allow that anymore everything is fixed in these multiple unit formations that that's all you get and that's when if you see a if you experience a very busy train that's why it's just because it's one thing and 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 that's all there is well, it's, uh, it's getting noisy here. It's uh, increasingly the time uh, to stop uh, broadcasting and uh, let people drink. And what is your day, hopefully? I suppose you're not going to get too much access to the, the just booze. No, we have to, as, as, as festival organiser, I have to make sure that all the volunteers are happy, keep an eye on, on, on the beer stocks, um, interact with the, the railway operations to make sure that, that the, uh, you know, the customers are not having any issues or complaints are being handled nice and easily. So, yeah. Yeah, I probably won't get to have much of a drink until about nine o'clock when we close later on tonight. And this is a, a long weekend for you then, really? It is. It's a long weekend and also a few days before preparation. The beer has to be looked after for around about a week, um, what, two or three days before it's in a servable condition. So there's, there's a lot of thought and, and, and pre-preparation that goes into running a beer festival. A reminder, if, if you would, of the website for the railway and, of course, there'll be information there about upcoming events. So the railway's website is www.eorailway.co.uk. Well, thanks for taking the time. And I want to finish with the fact that I've been uh, thinking about squeezing in right through the broadcast, but it doesn't have a natural home, and it doesn't fit now. But I discovered that Epping used to be famous for soap. If you, uh, if you got a bar of Epping soap a couple of hundred years ago, that was the bee's knees. Nothing to do with the subject of today's uh, podcast, though, which has been from the Epping and Onger right away and Alan Perryman thanks very much thank you and that's all for this week my thanks for this week to Alan Perryman Dean Walton and Roger Green thanks too to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea I'm in Quentin Wolfe of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.